0: um, we're in a new series and I'm going to, I'm going to start this new series off with a story because it goes way back to the beginning of my, beginning of my faith. I was, I got saved when I was second year of my second half of my senior year. I was 17 years old. Um, once I gave my life to Christ, um, I decided I wanted to go into ministry. I, uh, decided to go to, to Naya college in New York. It's a Bible college. They have a seminary there as well. And, and I was only a Christian for like six months. You, you actually had to be a Christian for at least over a year to get into the school. But because my youth pastor was the uh, girls' basketball coach, he got me in. Uh, and you have to understand, And if you grow up in church, it, it's a little more difficult. But I, I didn't know when I walked into Nyack, I didn't know. I knew who Moses was because, you know, I watched, you know, Charlton Heston and everything on TV. So I got, the, I got that story down just a little bit. But Joseph and, you know, some of the characters that, that you would all know so well, I had no clue. And I was in a Bible college. And so I had to study for like 10 hours to get a C in the very beginning while other students studied for 10 minutes and got A's because they, they at least had the foundation. I caught up with them probably my you know, second half of my sophomore year um, because I studied so much and I was learning. But it was amazing. And it, in the beginning, everything was so new. And, and so as we're getting into it about, you know, my sophomore year or so. In college, we're sitting in a classroom, and, I, and I, love this, I love this professor, so it's not a criticism of him, but um, I, didn't, I, I loved him as a person, but the class was one of those, oh my gosh, kind of classes. Maybe you've had these people. He, he was about 60 some odd years old, and he, he would every class, he'd have this little podium thing, and he'd take out these yellowing cards, three by five cards, and he would line them up on his, on his little podium. And then he'd stand there and say a prayer. And then you got your pen ready. It was like on your mark. And he'd start talking. You start taking notes. But he would read. He'd just read those cards. And they were from like 1928 or something. But, you know, it was the same. You know, every class, you know, he'd just line his cards up and he'd start reading. And you start writing. And I remember in the class, like I was always the guy who liked to be in the back of the bus, in the back of the room, everybody in front of me. Um, so I'd sit in the back of the room. I'd lean up against the wall, and I'd think, oh, if I could just sleep. Because I worked from, I worked like 60 hours a week and took like 18 credits because I was on my own when I was in college. And so I was always tired. Um, but uh, he would be there. So this one day, something happened. Uh, this guy comes walking in. He's, in, in, he's Indian, uh, from India. And he comes into class and, you know, you get a special speaker. And I'm thinking, oh, oh, now I can sleep. You know what I mean? Because, he, you know, he's probably not going to test us on this. But here in, here in comes this guy. He was sick. He brings this guy in to speak. And the guy gets in front of the, up in front of the room. And the first few words out of his mouth, I decided this is not a class where I'm going to be sleeping. The person was Robbie Zacharias. And I was a baby Christian. And Ravi Zacharias got in front of that class in his in that Indian accent that he has, and he started talking, and I was glued into what he was saying. And now he was talking about uh, moral absolutes, how there are moral absolutes in the world, and how we know that. And the whole class, I mean, I must have looked like a total like dope or something, because my jaw was just like... The whole, you know, just listening to him speak, and I've, I've told you this story before, but I want to really kick off this this whole sermon series with the story again because it was just amazing to to for me to listen to someone like that. It changed my life in such a profound way. So this morning we're gonna be we're gonna be starting this new series called Stand. Does it really matter what you believe? And I was watching uh, Facebook this week on our church Facebook and people that I don't even know uh, were were firing back. Yes, it does matter what you believe. It it really matters what you believe. And I want to base this series on first Peter chapter three, verses 15 and 16. If you have your Bibles open up, if you don't just, you know, make notes so you can go back and read this. But it says, but in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord foundation Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Always be ready. We're going to get into that a little more, too, as we go on here, but always in this series, but always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you. Now, I'm not ever going to embarrass anyone here, but honestly, if we had a show of hands, if I said, if someone asked you this question or that question or this question, would you be able to answer it it effectively? Have you ever been in a situation where people said, well, if there's a God where why do you believe this or how do you know that Jesus is this or how do you know that Jesus is God? all these kinds of things? How many how often do we stand there and kind of scratch our heads or you're in a college class and the professor comes you know, out and starts throwing things out and you just kind of sit there, you know, sheepishly because you don't have an answer. And he sounds so right. The professor's been doing this for 30 or 40 years and he's had Christians in his class and he throws these things out and sounds so right. And so you're intimidated. So we all really boils down to is a belief system. We Christians have beliefs and a belief is an acceptance that a statement is true or that something exists, that a statement is true or that something exists. Everyone has beliefs. Okay? Don't let anyone tell you that you're, as you're Christian, you have beliefs, you base everything on faith. Everyone has belief, and everything based, everyone based whatever they believe on faith. Because at the end of the day, I can push you back far enough, and you'll say, I don't know. I just believe that's true. How did, how did, how did the universe begin? The Big Bang, blah, 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 blah. Were you there? No, you were not. So basically what you're saying is you believe that something is true. It's just, it's, you have faith that what you're being taught is true, right? So everything comes back to faith. We all have beliefs. We all have beliefs, and those beliefs determine what we worship. You say, well, only Christians or only religious people worship. That is not true at all. Everyone worships something. Everyone. Okay. If you reject God, you just put something else in his place and worship that. Everyone worships something. It just depends on what you worship. That's the only question. What is it that you worship? For some, it's money, it's, it's fame, it's power. For others, it's, it's pleasure or some, some other activity. We all worship something. And again, if you, if you eliminate God from the equation, we were created and designed to worship. So we worship as human beings. We can't help it. It's just what do we worship? take God out of the equation. I put something else in his place and I worship that. Now, before we go any further, I want to establish what I mean when I use the word true. Okay. That's extremely important because that's what we're going to talk about this entire, this, this in this sermon for the most part, you know, what is truth? What is true? Let me share another story to illustrate uh, what I mean by this. I was in a class. I was, I was at NIAC, and it was in the summertime, and I went to a state university because I wanted to pick up some other courses. They were a lot cheaper, and I wanted to get through with them, so I went to summer school there and took some courses at a state university. I sat in class, and this guy hated women, and he hated Christians. This professor hated women. I don't know why, but he didn't talk about why. He hated Christians. All right. He would use an offering plate for an ashtray. Um, he would say Jesus committed suicide. And so, I, as a baby Christian, I didn't really know how to respond to him. So I would, I kept on saying, it, and, and that's a fact, right? And that's a fact, right? And that's a fact, right? And I think he got sick and tired of me. I'm the only one in the class that was challenging anything that he said. Um, but he said that's a fact. And finally, he stops the class and says, "All right, enough, enough." Let me exp- and he's talking to me, he's- and he stood there and he got his little chalk out and he's talking about your truth is your truth because you believe it. And my truth is my truth because I believe it. Fifteen minutes of this philosophical, you know, meandering uh, of the professor and we was all finished. So I said, yeah, but here's the thing. You're stating your truth as absolute facts and I'm getting tested on them. You're testing me on what you're stating as an absolute fact. I just want to know, if it- is it true? Is it a fact is it a fact? So the question you need to ask yourself this morning was, is he right? Is that true? Is the statement that he made true? Your truth is your truth because you believe it. and My truth is my truth because I believe it. What if your truth and my truth conflict with each other? Think about that. What if your truth and my truth conflict? What if I believe, What if I believe that unicorns can breathe underwater? I'm a professor in a school, and I believe that unicorns can breathe underwater. Does that make it true? Well, I believe it. I really believe, I sincerely believe it, that unicorns can breathe underwater. So does that make it true? See, I also, I don't believe this, just to make this clear. But what if I believe that Hitler was a saint and you don't? Are we both right? My truth is my truth because I believe it, and your truth is your truth because you believe it. I say Hitler was a saint. You say he's not. Are we both correct? See, here's one of the things we have I want to pull into this conversation and keep in the conversation throughout our time together. There's there's a a law of non-contradiction. The law of non-contradiction states that a contrary statement, a contradictory statement cannot both be true, okay, cannot both be true in the same sense and at the same time. I mean, make this easier. The law of non-contradiction states that a truth's opposite cannot also be true. You can write that one down, okay? That, that'll help you. A truth's opposite cannot also be true. Now, in our culture, they want you to think otherwise. That a truth's opposite can also be true. That wall cannot be black and white at this, in the same sense at the same time. If I state that the wall is one color... Okay. Then I, in the next sentence, I state, I sentence, I state the walls a different color. That's con- it. Contradicts it. A truth opposite cannot also be true. So when Jesus says in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus made an absolute statement there. Okay. So you have to decide, is that is true or not? Because I hear people, I don't know about you, I hear people all the time say, it doesn't, you know, it, 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 all paths lead to God. All paths lead to God, as long as you're sincere in what you believe. So as long as you're sincere. Well, one of those statements is true, and one of them is not true. They contradict each other. Either those people are correct, or Jesus is Correct. If those people are correct who say that, Jesus is wrong and he's a liar. Let's not play around here, okay, because he knows what he was saying was untrue. So he's not just wrong, he's a liar. So when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the father but by me, and people say, well, all paths lead to God as long as you're sincere in what you believe, one of those statements is true and one of them is not true. Now, here's the deal. As, as, as our culture, it may make you feel good and Avoid conflict to believe that but just because you just because you believe it doesn't make it true It may make you feel good to say well. No, no, that's you can believe that that's that's true for you It may make you feel good to do that It may avoid the conflict when you're in in a classroom setting or with people that were It may avoid the conflict, but just because you believe something doesn't make it true So why is it so important that we stand on the truth? Why is it so significant? Because it doesn't seem so significant to most people in our culture. And that's why we're using this whole term stand. What I want to do more than anything else in this series, I want to try to teach you truth. What does the Word of God say? What is a biblical worldview? What does God say? And what is truth? And then you understand that and then you stand on that, regardless if you're in a college class or you're at work, wherever you have to stand. So at some point we have to stand and not just not just go along so that to go along, to get along. What is true? What is true? And then I need to stand on that truth, because like never before, our worldview is under attack. Under, under severe attack, Christians believe there is a God, okay? There is a God. And, there's, and because there is a God, God created all things, basically. God created all things, and there are absolute truths in the world. It is God who determines what's right and wrong, good and evil. That's who determines it, okay? That's absolute truths. There are absolute truths. There are things written on our hearts we all know to be true. And God is the one who determines right and wrong, good and evil, and it's that viewpoint that I just described right there that is really, really under attack. Let me explain and, and give you another an example. Um, just took our son Josh to the movies. We were all looking forward to seeing this new movie that it's called Into the Woods. You know, like you know Disney movie, like Into the Woods. So we wanted to go see. We wanted to go see Into the Woods. Now, before I get into this, I, I as a, as a youth pastor, when I was a youth pastor, um, I would talk about music. And regardless of what I said, if I mentioned your favorite band, that everybody would just shut off. No, they're my favorite band. La, 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 I don't want to hear it. La, 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 you're wrong. I, the band is wonderful. Okay. We have to have the maturity here. Okay. No matter how old we are. We have to have maturity to listen to exactly what I'm saying instead of saying, no, no, um, I love that movie and you can't be right. And so I just want this is, this is a time to kind of lay out some things and let's think together. Come, let us reason together, God says. All right. So I want to see the movie. Um, it is filled with stars. I mean, star studded movie. People I really, that our family really enjoys watching, Meryl Streep, Johnny Depp, um, Emily Blunt, and a lot of others who I, I, I really like. I was thinking at one point during the movie, I'm thinking, man, this is, uh, this is, this is kind of funny. Uh, I like the, the music is, is really good. I mean, really great writers, really great musicians and everything. And when they did that musical number on the, on the waterfall, I'm sorry, I was cracking up big time. You know, it was just hysterical. These two guys, you know, dancing and singing around the waterfall and everything. It was, it was really well done. It was really, really creative, and I really enjoyed it. From a storytelling standpoint, um, there, there's a weaving together of, of classical fairy tales, right? They weave together f- classical fairy tales, and they tell, they tell it in one big story, the one giant story that pulls all the characters together. So you've got all these different characters that you've heard about before into one giant story, and they tie them all together. And as the movie progresses, the happily ever after comes true for everyone. OK, so you have Little Red Riding Hood. She lives pretty interesting. <laughs> got the, you know, she's alive. Um, Jack cuts down the beanstalk, gets all the gold. Um, you know, Rapunzel gets her man Uh, The prince marries Cinderella, the wife, the baker's wife has a baby, even the witch gets what she wants. So it all is all working out just the way it should. Um, And then it gets a little confusing. Then things start to get a little confusing. Now, I don't know if it's because our culture is just getting hardened, uh, more and more hardened or cynical it might be that we're just getting so cynical, but the idea of hap- think about this. Think about—think about it overall. Over the last few years, okay, no matter how old you are, just walk with me in this one. It seems to me that happily ever after is just not cool anymore, right? It's, it's just not cool anymore. Now it's popular. It's popular to see the prince as evil and the the villain, the person who was the villain, as good. So before it was like the prince and you had the you know, the characters and they were good and you know, they fought for against evil. Now it's more popular to make the prince the evil one and the villain the good one and it's and and, and, and confusing right and wrong and all these things is really, really encouraged. Now, it's not just in the movies, it's on TV as well. Characters that you grew up with that were once thought as as good are now portrayed as evil and characters that were always portrayed as evil are now portrayed as good or neutral. They're neutral. You don't really know what they are. They in one sense. They sometimes they're good and sometimes they're not so good. Um, and, and you kind of just get confused. And, and if a character sometimes in these things, if characters fall in love it's exposed as a sham, you know what I mean? So there's, you know, love at first sight and, you know, they fall in love. And I love that enchanted movie, you know what I mean? Where, you know, they, they, she's singing and he's singing and they just, I love you, I love you too. They meet each other for like five seconds, you know what I mean? It's just a, it's a spoof on, on kind of the, the old time characters. I just have to take just a quick th- a thought process here, kind of off to the side. I don't know about you. But as a pastor, I get enough reality in reality, okay? <laughs> right? When I go to the movies, I love it. They fall in love in the first five minutes and they live happily ever after. It's just maybe I'm just, you know, uh, I get plenty of reality in, in the real world, uh, but it's not coming that way. But I, I get it. Now, understand, I get it. I get this whole trend. I understand it because life is, life is, 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 is not as clear cut as, clear-cut as, as p- people like to make it in the movies sometimes. Life can be complicated and messy. Not everything works out when you wish upon a star. Right? When you wish upon it, Right? That doesn't always work out. Or dreams don't always come true. Right? I mean, as adults, we recognize that. There's, there's no, there's no fooling us. We understand just because you dream, wish upon a star, things are going to happen, whatever else. Things are not always. As simple, and that's the point of what they're trying to say, things are not always as simple as they seem. One of the movies recently that I I like was Maleficent, and what they did there was they, I thought they did a good job trying to explain what I just described. Life is not always just as simple, it's complicated, it's messy, and so Maleficent, you know, she's like one of the, you know, evilest characters in, in history, and what they did is go back and said, why is she the way she is? You can't judge a book by its cover. Okay, you have to understand why a person behaves the way they behave. You have to understand the background to how a person can become the way they. And I don't I don't disagree with that thought process, because for me as a pastor, I do that all the time. I look at a situation. I see a person. I don't think, man, that person's all evil. That person's all always good. I look at that and say, okay, what what is it in that person's life that caused them to become that way? So I understand, and I think they did a good job in Maleficent to do that. But Into the Woods seems to take it to a whole nother level, a whole nother level. The movie creatively deconstructs the happily ever after foundation or, or scenario that is laid out of each story. At one point, Cinderella's prince seduces the baker's wife, OK, in the woods. So he he seduces her um, and she just had a baby. So she just had a baby with the baker. And now they're in the woods. And the, the, and, the and the prince, Cinderella's prince, um, basically seduces the baker's wife who just had a baby. Now, one 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 positive side of all that was I had a really amazing ride home with Josh in the car Um <laughs> To explain, uh, you know, truth and adultery to him on the ride home, um, you know, I mean, it was magical. It was a magical ride home. It really was. It was, you know, you know, because we're we're talking about these things. And, you know, it was it was amazing because I I came out of the movie like, oh, man, apologetics is going crazy. You know, I I was like all over the place. And so we're in the car. But, you know, having to explain that to your your 10 year old, um, just, you know, like I said, just magical, magical time. So you have you have the you have the scene where the baker's wife is kissing Prince Charming, uh, in the woods, and then she goes off, and I want to read you what she said. Very it's very very interesting. This is what she's wondering. Listen to the words. Must it all be either less or more, either plain or grand? Is it always or? Is it never and? This is now, listen. This is this powerful thoughts. Okay. Always or, never and. This is what she means in her particular situation. Must I, must I choose between the baker or the prince instead of having the baker and the prince? You know, you have the baker, a little prince on the side. That's what she's kind of pondering in her mind. You know, I mean, that's what she's saying. How, why does it have to be this or this? Why can't it be this and this? Right? So she's struggling through that. I'm actually at this point struggling through trying to process how I'm going to explain this to uh, everyone. And, um, and she struggles through it. She struggles through it. But I, and I believe comes to the right conclusion at the end. And then, well, I will not tell you what happens to her. But um, she comes to, I believe, comes to the right conclusion at the end. But that's not, that's not why I was a little, a little frustrated with the movie. And I'm not going to, you know what, let's be clear. I'm not going overboard here. I'm not going to attack. I, I go to Disney uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to tack and go crazy and boycott and all that kind of thing. Uh, this is why I was a little, I'll say a little frustrated with the movie, because I believe the overall um, theme, the pushing, it was a pushing of a worldview and that, that pushing the worldview was more relativism. Okay. Same thing my my professor was teaching when I went to that state university. Your truth is your truth because you believe it. My truth is my truth because I believe it. And let me tell you why I think that. At the end, the adults sing a song to all the children. They gather the children around. The children are a little confused. And this is what they sing. Witches can be right. Giants can be good. You decide what's right. You decide what's good. Just remember, someone is on your side, our side. Someone else is not. While we're, see, while we're seeing our side, maybe we forgot they are not alone. No one is alone. So you decide what's right. You decide what's good. Both your truth and their truth have people on either side. have to remember that, okay, who believe different, different things. You have people on either side who would agree with you. So their truth is their truth because they believe it, and your truth is your truth because you believe it. Because you have people on different sides who would disagree with the conclusions you come to. Now, I want to be fair. I actually studied, believe it or not, I actually went through and read a lot of different um, people when it comes to this song. And there was a lot of people said it didn't, it didn't preach moral relativism at all. You know? And what was interesting to me was two of the best ones, one was a philosopher who I'm not sure was a Christian. And he was arguing for the fact that it does. It teaches naturalism, and it teaches moral relativism, and, you know, and I'm not sure where he stood spiritually, but the person who said it didn't was the Catholic priest. I disagreed with him in some of the things he said, but I just want to be fair in saying that there's different people's opinions on that song, um, and they kind of were going back and forth. But, but here's the thing. Um, here, here's, here's, here's what I'm saying. Um, as adults, um, we would all have to agree that it would be at least very confusing a very confusing moral message right at least that, that that song you decide what's right you decide what's good would at least be a very confusing moral message the movie is rated pg it's promoted during the christmas to a younger audience So I would have to agree, honestly, with the writers of the movie, because at the end of the movie, the writers of the movie basically say to the adults, be careful the stories you tell to the children, because I quote, children will listen. Children will listen. I thought to myself, wow, that's amazing that you would say that at the end of the movie. Be careful the stories you tell children. Be careful what you tell children, because children will listen. They're right. Children will listen. So if you're going to make a movie that has some very mature, moral um, themes, make sure that you're very clear on what you're trying to promote, what you're trying to get across to those children, because children will listen. Very, very true. So basically, um, you decide what's right you decide what's true, true, is at least confusing, correct? Would you say that was confusing? You decide what's right, you decide what's true. I would say that's at least confusing. But see, here's a cool thing too, regardless of their intent, it gives you and I, this gives you and I a great opportunity to sit down with our children and differentiate between a Christian worldview and a non-Christian worldview. It's a phenomenal chance to sit down and say, hey, this is what this is the longest conversation Josh and I had on the way home in the car. Is that true? Is my truth my truth? Because I believe it. Is it right? For, if it's right for me, it's good. OK, so if I want to. We were on one side, We were on the right side of the road. And basically I said, well, what if I want to drive on the other side of the road? It's good for me. It's right for me. What would happen? Well, you'd have all kinds of problems because the person on the other side of the road doesn't understand what's right for me is right, right for me. And I hit him head on and then we, all, we all die. Here is here, – go, I'm going to switch a little bit of gears here and kind of give you some of the issues that I have with this whole idea of moral relativism, okay? This is not, not the last time we're going to talk about this in the series. And I'll run this series as long as we ha- – I don't have an end date for this series right now because the most important thing to me is that we walk through this methodically and everyone walks away. I want you to be here every single week and I want you to invite people every single week because this is so helpful – to, to, to all the things that people are dealing with in their lives. But here's part of the problem that I see. See, all the, all the bad guys have already decided what's right for them. They've already decided what's right for them in, in the movies, not in the movies. They've already decided what is right for them, and it causes other people harm. So causing harm is good, right? If it's right for me, then it's good. If it's, you know, you decide what's right, you decide what's good. Well, it's right for me. I've already made my decisions that I'm going to do this and this because it benefits me. So that's right. And if it's right, it's good, right? Right. I mean, you start thinking about how this works. Hitler killed millions of people and it was right for him. So it was good, right? Because, wait, he, what, Hitler killed all these people and because it was right for him. So therefore it was right for him. So it was good. Um, because he, you have to remember, he is not alone. No one is alone. In their, their, and their, when it comes to their, their belief, his or when it comes to your belief system, no one's alone, unless you're completely out there. But most people, you know, when Hitler was in power, he wasn't alone in his belief system. So he had everything. He had all the right formula, right? It was right for him. He wasn't alone. People agreed with him. So, therefore, what was right for him was good. It was good. Or it was only good when they were winning, but then when they were losing, then it's not good anymore. And we decide, well, that was bad. But the people of Germany at that point, not all of them, but many of them thought it was good. All the things they were doing, killing all those people, were less infe- less, they're, not, they're inferior, so why not just get rid of them? See, according to a biblical worldview... There is there is there there are pre-established laws that are real and not based upon people's opinions about what is good and what is evil. There are there are there are laws in place that are real, not man made, that determine what is good and bad, right and wrong. That's a biblical worldview. It doesn't matter what you think about what's right or wrong, good or bad, ultimately. Ultimately, God decides those kinds of things, okay? And we try to learn and understand them. Humans don't get to make their own definitions. There is no such thing in a biblical worldview. as You decide what's right and you decide what's good for yourself. Outside of every, you know, you, you just decide those things for yourself. In a biblical worldview, people are, 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 are need to discover what is true. They don't base their truth, listen, on their opinions or how they feel. Because that is our culture. We base our truth on how we feel. This is my opinion. And my opinion that unicorns can breathe underwater are as valid as your opinions that there are no unicorns and they can't breathe underwater. Because I feel... Like it's true. That's my opinion. And who are you to tell me that my opinion is wrong in a biblical worldview? We say that God is the one who determines right and wrong, good and evil, not our opinions or our feelings. So at least here's my thing. At least let's get out of the woods and be clear about our worldview. Let's just get out of the woods and be clear about our worldview because a worldview that says you decide what's right, you decide what's good, ultimately leads to misery. It leads, I don't care where where you're living, it leads to misery and it's inconsistent at best, not to mention hypocritical. It's hypocritical. Say, how is it hypocritical? Because without God, how can you tell me? That I did something that was wrong or evil. How do you tell me? By whose definition? Who decides? You, society? How do you come and tell me I did something wrong or I did something evil or I did something bad? How do you tell me that? By, by what definition are you using to tell me those things? Who decides? You get to decide. The culture gets to decide. What makes you right in Osama bin Laden Wrong. What makes you right? I I think that killing all those people in New York, I think, was completely wrong. What makes me right by saying that? And Osama bin Laden wrong in a debate. okay, in a debate. But Frederick Copeland. okay, and Bertrand Russell. Copeland is a Christian. Russell's an atheist. So Copeland says to, 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 to Russell, do you believe in good and bad? And Russell says, I do. So Copeland says to Russell, how do you distinguish between good and bad? How do you distinguish? And Russell's response is that I I, I distinguish the same way I distinguish between colors. Okay. So Copeland says, but don't you distinguish between colors by what you see? It's seeing. I see them. I distinguish between the colors by seeing. And so... Russell then responds, so Copeland says, so, so if, if, it's, if that's on the basis of saying, how do you d- distinguish between good and bad? And Russell's response is, on the basis of my feelings, what else? This is, a, this, are, this is a brilliant man. Brilliant man. And when he's confronted and says, you believe in good and bad, he says, sure I do. Of course, who doesn't, right? Of course he does. How do you distinguish between the two? Same way, distinguish between colors. Well, you have to see colors. Oh, yeah, that's true. So I distinguish between between the two things based upon my feelings. What else? What else? Holy mackerel. In the name of reason and logic, how can you possibly differentiate between bad and good on, on the foundation of your feelings? Whose feelings, I would ask? What if, your fe- what if your feelings change? You guys on this side have feelings on one issue, but then all of a sudden your feelings change. What if your feelings change? And what if your feelings are different from the feelings of people on the right side? So you base your good and bad decisions, you base what is good and what is right, or, or what, is, what is right and what is wrong on your feelings. What if your feelings change? Whose feelings are we talking about? What if our feelings disagree with, what if my feelings disagree with your feelings? You see, without God's absolute truth, it all becomes a philosophical discussion, a philosophical game, which is a lot of fun in the classroom. And it's a lot of fun when you're in the woods, but not when you're in the real world. It's fine in the woods, okay? It's fine in a philosophical discussion, but not in the real world. For me, it's clear if you say something is good, then you assume, OK, when you use when you use the word good, you assume a reference point that something is bad. OK, you can't use the word good unless you have a reference point, say this is good. This is bad. So if you assume something's good, then you have to assume something is bad. If you assume something's good and bad, right and wrong, then you assume you assume a moral law that determines what's right and wrong, good or bad. Correct. Correct. Or else we get into the whole mess I just described. So if you assume something's good and you use the word good, then you have to assume something's bad. If you assume good and bad, right and wrong, you have to assume a moral law that determines what's good and bad, right and wrong. And if you assume a moral law, you have to assume a moral law giver. And you lead back to God. So the moment you start using words like that, you have to assume a creator. Or else, why are you using the words? C.S. Lewis wrote this. I love this. He says, the moment you use the word better, you assume a point of reference. The moment you use the word better, I say this is better than that. The moment you use the word better, you assume a point of reference. See, without without God, concepts like good and bad, right and wrong, they're meaningless. Come with me here for a second. I, for, before as a Christian, I knew this to be true. If I wasn't a Christian, I, Nietzsche was my hero, okay? Nietzsche would be my hero if I wasn't a Christian. Because at least the guy is honest with his worldview. If, you, if there's no God, if there's no God, concepts like right and wrong, good and evil, they're, they're meaningless. And so are words. If there's no God, so are words like suffering and love and truth and purpose. I have a purpose for my life. What are you talking about? You, you, you got. You were here by, by random chance. You evolved into what you are sitting there in that seat. What do you? What does that mean? You have purpose. What do you love? What you? What does that mean? Love. What is? What do you? you suffering. I don't understand. Those those words have no meaning if you don't have a God there. Because, here's the thing. You have to ask yourself. If these concepts don't have no meaning. Why on earth does everyone use them? Because we have to. We, we, we use these terms because we have to use these terms. You see, without, without God, we say, well, you know, I don't believe there's a God or whatever else. But then we use all kinds of terms that lead us back to God. And the reason we use them and the reason we have to use them is because we can't help but use them in the real world. As the baker's wife says at the end of the movie, she says, it's time to leave the woods. You can't live in the real world and not use those terms that lead you back to God. She says, we got to leave the woods. I can't, basically what she's saying, you can't live in a fantasy world. You can't stay in the woods. Philosophically, you can sit around and ponder in your mind all these concepts, but in reality, when you bring it into the real world, it doesn't, it doesn't work the same way. See, you're created in the image of God. Think about this. You're all created in the image of God, and I'll tell you why. Because you can't stand it when you see some, You have to respond when you see something wrong or evil happening to someone else inside you. Even if you don't physically respond, you emotionally respond when you see something that's wrong. You emotionally respond when you see something that's evil. You, you can't stand not one of you, okay? Not one of you can stand injustice can't stand it. You can't. Why? Why is that? Why do you see injustice and respond? Jeremiah 12, verse 1, he he says this. I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? See, we can't help it. If you claim there's no God, you can't live out the worldview, your worldview in the real world. If you say there's no God, you cannot live out your worldview in the real world. Because when you use words like right or wrong, good or evil, or judge me in any, any way, you're a hypocrite. The moment you judge me, the moment you use words like right, wrong, good or evil, you're a hypocrite. Here's another thing. Think about this. You you can't even be in a discussion with me about the subject unless you borrow from my worldview. Like, you can't even discuss these issues unless you're borrowing from my worldview, because in your worldview, you have no reference point to the discussion. Does That make sense? Okay. So in order to have a discussion about right, wrong, good, evil, judgment, all those kind of things, you have to borrow from my worldview even to have a discussion. So any of you guys thinking I'm wrong right now? Anybody? (laughs) Thinking I'm wrong right now? Okay. So we're going to close off here because throughout this series, we're going to we're going to talk about some some topics we're going to talk about. We're going to answer a whole lot of questions like why does God allow suffering and evil in the world? We'll talk about that next week and we're going to talk about that more than once. OK, this is a longer subject. But why does God allow and evil and suffering in the world? But before we before we, you know, close off, I want to I have a question for you. I want you I want you to ponder these couple of questions before next week. Okay, I want you to ponder these questions so you can even write them down. All right, write these questions down. First, without God, we talk about suffering on the subject of suffering. Without God, why even ask the question? If there's no God, why are you even asking the question? Do you think a hippopotamus asks a gazelle this question when he sees a lion, when they see a lion take down a wildebeest? You know, do you ever wonder why it's like this in the, on, the, on the savannah? Yeah, and this gazelle's like, yeah, you know, it's just, it just really getting to me how, how evil, how much evil and suffering is in the world. If you take God out, out of the equation, it's naturalism. Why are you even asking the question about suffering? That's number one. Number two, what does the skeptic have to offer in response to the question of suffering? What does the skeptic have to offer? I'm going to offer you answers next week. What does the person who believes there is no God have to offer you on the subject of suffering? The people ask the question, why are they even asking the question? Okay, first off, if they don't believe in God. And number two, what do they have to offer on the subject of suffering when it's all said and done? I'm going to quote G.K. Chesterton to close. When belief in God becomes difficult, the tendency is to turn away from him. But in heaven's name, to what? What? In heaven's name, to what? I want you to ponder those two questions, and next week we'll come back and we'll talk about why, why God allows suffering and evil in the world. Let's bow our heads. God, thank you for this time we can spend together. I pray to God that you would use us in a powerful way. God, help us to use what we learn every single week, because when we learn it, we own it, and we can apply it to our lives and the lives of others. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Have a great week. See you see next week.